As we continue with the ministry of God's word, turn with me back to Exodus. We'll be taking up a new chapter, moving into, as it is so ordered now, not the way Moses wrote it in that Moses did not have chapter headings, but we find ourselves easily locating chapter 13, and that is where we will read. So if you'll stand together with me for the reading of God's word, we taking up Exodus 13, the first 16 verses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. No unleavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month of Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. And it shall be a sign, as a sign to you on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your father and swore to you and your fathers, and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn which comes from an animal which you have, or the males sh- uh, the males shall be to the Lord's. But every firstborn of donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this that you shall say to him, By strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Thus far, the word of our God. Let us pray. 
O Lord our God, as we are here before you to continue in our worship, we come in uh, a yieldedness. We come uh, worshipfully and humbly under your word. Uh, Father, we pray that as that which you have appointed, the preaching of the word, uh, through even a sinful man, that you would manifest your glory, that your spirit would be at work in your vessel to proclaim truth with clarity, uh, that your spirit would be at work in each of our hearts, that you would give us ears and to hear eyes, to see a, a heart of understanding, that we might take hold of the truths that are in this passage, and that you would imprint upon our hearts the truth that we should go forth and live by. Lord, be glorified in our midst, we pray. May Christ be magnified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord our God has said, in a sense, never forget that it was I, even I, who brought you out of the house of bondage. So that several times in this passage, it was by the strength of his hand. We hear this actually every week in the Ten Commandments. What is it that we hear? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. The law is given in the context of God's grace, the God who redeems, the God who is rescued, the God who is saved. The law is not given in order that we might be saved. God says, I have redeemed you. And then here's my law, that as my people you should keep it. But week by week we are reminded, even as the children of Israel were to be reminded, year by year, that it was the Lord and not themselves that brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of the bondage. For the Hebrews, at that moment, they stood at the bottom of Mount Sinai, the mountain that they could not touch. And the Lord even spoke from the mountaintop, and they were terrified. But you can imagine when they're there in this law that God gives through Moses when he comes down and this preface that is on it, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That first generation that was there, those Hebrews, they stood there and they could think very specifically. They certainly would have remembered the things that took place only months before, ever so recently. After 400 years of slavery, the Lord had set them free as he had promised that he would do. And he had done so with the power of his might. The Lord delivered them. What we see in then in this portion of scripture before us today is that the Lord gave to his people something. He even claimed something from them. It's interesting how what we have before here is God is giving to his people, and he's making a claim upon his people. He wants them to remember to do three things. He's giving them reminders of how it was that he delivered them. And he makes a claim that they're to do these things. But he's giving them in that claim constant reminders year by year that they would know that it was the Lord who delivered them and not themselves. It was very important that they never forget what he had done for them and how he had done it. Uh, some of the things that we see in here, very specifically tied to the 10th commandment 
I'm sorry, the tenth plague, when, when the Lord broke Pharaoh. And he finally says, go, not only say go, he drove them out of the land with the death of the firstborn in his house and throughout Egypt. And so then the Lord in this passage, we see he claims for himself the firstborn male child from every household. And he also then required the firstborn of their livestock, the male that's, that opened the womb. And then he gave to them and required of them that they should hold a feast of unleavened bread at the beginning of the year for an entire week. There was to be no yeast found in their midst. All the bread that they were to eat was to be unleavened. Children, I want you to think about something like pita bread, or maybe you're thinking of something like a tortilla. Uh, it's, it's a flat bread. It doesn't rise. This is what this unleavened bread is. That might be helpful as we go forward. You think of it in that sort of sense. What does this have to do with us? We also are a people who forget. We forget so readily. I'm not talking about those of us who've got gray on our head. We have a, a different forgetfulness that comes with the age of years. But we just as sinful people, we forget the effects of sin on us, what we call the noetic effects of the fall, affect all of our being. And, and our memory is something that is affected. We are forgetful of things. Sometimes you might have heard your parents, children, uh, they come into the kitchen, they go, like, what did I come in here for? Yeah, they just they don't remember. We're reminded even in all that we're, we're sinners. And so God knows what we are and that we need to be reminded. And so the Lord gave to his people these reminders. He gives us things to help us remember what's important the most important things. In our service of worship week by week, we have things that are here by the Lord's appointment. They're, they're elements given by God to us in our worship to remind us lest we forget. We think of the Lord's table set before us. If we had the baptismal font, you know, present as well to be seen again it would remind us of our own baptism that we are the lord's the lord has put his sign and seal upon us because like these israelites we are so forgetful we have these reminders that it was god who has delivered us out from under our sin and not we ourselves we have not done it it is he he claims then in this he claims a rhythm of our week. Here we see how their year opened. They were to do this at the beginning of every year, beginning with the first day of the year. They entered into this week that was to remind them of where they had come from, what God had done for them. And even for us, the Lord has given us a rhythm to our week. We begin each week with a special day, a day of worship. And what is chief about our worship? We remember that on this day, the first day of the week, that Christ arose. And now we don't just put that in a narrow little box. It reminds us that he was crucified, dead, and buried. And then he arose. That he accomplished everything necessary for our salvation. And we're reminded each week we get this uh, necessary reminder of the realities of who God is and who we are in Christ. And we need that. And thus I've titled the sermon, Lest We Forget. I'm going to use four main headings. I've added one since your worship guide was printed. We look at the firstborn is mine. 
the day is mine, the first day, for them the first day of the year, for us the first day of the week, and the week is mine. They begin with a a week of festivities, a, a week of unleavened bread, but in our case, the week. We're reminded each Sunday that the week that lies before us, here we are on Sunday, the week that lies before us is the Lord's. It's not that we come just today and do as the Lord have us and then the rest of the days are to be used as we will. But then the Lord also claims that which opens the womb is mine. And we'll see about that. And so we begin then with the firstborn is mine, verses 1 and 2. We read, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. Now, see, there's this typical Hebrew uh, way of telling a story. There's this overall statement. And then, as we see, we'll see very specific parts of the child, the male child, and then later of the animals. This is the main principle. The Lord's saying the firstborn is mine. And we're going to focus initially on the firstborn of mankind, and we'll come to it some more again in a little bit. At this point in the record of Exodus, the Lord has brought the children of Israel out. Back in verse 37, we read, Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses, that's in Egypt, to Succoth. They've gone out. They've left. The promise has taken place. The Lord has delivered them. They have been set free. They are no longer slaves in Egypt. They've been delivered. The Lord has brought this about by nine mighty plagues. And remember how Pharaoh hardened his heart, hardened his heart, and then the Lord hardened his heart. Pharaoh, in his mind, you're playing a power game that he was greater than this God of the Hebrews, that he was a true sovereign in the land of Egypt. And in the end, with the tenth plague, he found out, no, there's but one sovereign There's but one living and true God, and he was no match for that God as even he went to his eldest son's bedroom, and there he lay, dead. God delivered them. God had displayed his superiority. The Lord has shown that he alone was sovereign over life and death, and he struck the firstborn of all the male children, but also the firstborn of all the livestock. Now, we remember some of the plagues would have destroyed a lot of the livestock. There wouldn't have been that much livestock, but whatever firstborn there were, they too were struck. And yet, the Lord had protected the firstborn males throughout all of Israel. We saw this distinction with other plagues, didn't we? Think particularly the darkness. When Egypt was in a darkness so dark that they dared not even move around, it was completely light in the land of Goshen. When God brought the plague upon the livestock, Israel's livestock was exempted. God's been making a distinction between his people and those who are of Egypt. And in this last plague, the Lord has preserved the firstborn. All those who are in the house where there was blood on the doorpost and on the lentil, the blood of the lamb who had who was sacrificed, who was a substitute. In the place of the death of the firstborn, that animal died. And you see this principle pointing to forward to the Lord Jesus Christ, who by his blood saves others. But here, very much so, with this tenth plague, God preserved the firstborn 
sons of every house in Egypt. And so now the Lord commands, consecrate to me all the firstborn throughout all the ages to come. He says, this is an enduring command. Every firstborn male is mine. This was so that Israel would not forget the great favor that God had shown them in the night when the destroyer went throughout all the land. And he commands them then to set apart, that is to sanctify, to treat as different. We're going to hear more, just just briefly to say later on, God having said that the firstborn are his, then God selects the tribe of Levi to be the priests that serve before him, and every member of the tribe of Levi then stands, as it were, in place for the firstborn in every household so that they would serve and those would go on. But this was a constant reminder, and even every time a firstborn is open, a opens the womb, a firstborn male, the Lord has sovereign rights. Now think about this. As creator, he has all the rights to all the earth, to all that are on the earth. He has every right over every single human being that lives on the face of the earth today. Christ, because he's the victorious and risen Savior, God the Father has given to him the nations to do with as he will. Think about that as events in the world unfold. Christ the King is sovereignly ruling and reigning. He has the rights as creator, as the risen redeemer, as the God-man, to do as he will with the nations. And as distressing as headlines might be, as I've told many of you, at the end of the day, I lay my head on my pillow, and I go to sleep with comfort knowing Christ is king. And this is something that God wanted Israel to remember, that on that night when the destroyer went throughout the land, their firstborn sons were protected. And so he claims this right not only as the creator, but as their redeemer. He has redeemed them out of Egypt because he destroyed the firstborn male throughout all of Egypt, and therefore the arrogance in the bond of uh, Pharaoh is broken. Pharaoh is broken to the point that he, as we remember in the account last week, everything that Moses, actually God through Moses had commanded, Pharaoh says, go, go with your livestock, go with your families, take your children, go, get out of the land. He drove them out. So great was the redemption that God had accomplished. The Lord had protected, though, the firstborn of Israel. And so God wants every Hebrew parent to remember that they have no rights to claim for themselves their child it was God who preserved and before a a Hebrew parent could even um, think of a firstborn male as the child in their household he had a responsibility to make a sacrifice to bring a sacrifice to the Lord you look at verses 11 and 12 and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of Canaan as he swore to you and to your fathers to give to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from the animals which you have, and the males shall be the Lord's. We'll look at that a little more further. So lest they forget, God's saying not only right now, but when I bring you into the land, this is an enduring requirement. 
the firstborn male is mine so that you never forget the way in which you were redeemed out of Egypt. There was a sacrifice of a lamb. Well, there are many of you who are thinking right now, what, how are we redeemed? It's not by a, a, a furry little woolly creature. That furry little woolly creature points to the Lamb of God, even the Son of God who came into the world to save sinners. That it is His shed blood that redeems us. It is what Christ is as Christ's righteousness speaks on our behalf. Christ's sacrifice, the suffering that He underwent on the cross, receiving the wrath of God for the sins of His people. Therefore, we are a redeemed people. Without the cross, we're not redeemed. Even as if they had failed to put the blood on their doors, the first male in that child, the firstborn male in that house, would have died. And we're reminded week by week as we come to the Lord's Supper, and certainly through the preaching of the Word, the source of our salvation, the source of our redemption is the Lord Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. Here we have this pictured, foreshadowed for the children of Israel. Why? Lest his people forget. The Lord laid claim. He says, your firstborn son is mine. So that you will remember that it was I who struck the firstborn of Egypt. And I spared your sons. And it was with this mighty blow that I brought about your deliverance. A gift. Remember. A gift that we remember and the means by which they remember. Matthew Henry says of this matter, God, I love the Matthew Henry's language here, God who is the first and best. That's so true. God who is the first and best should have the first and best. And to him we should resign that which is most dear to us and most valuable the firstborn were the joy and hope of families. That's still true today. That firstborn child. Oh, the joy that is in our household. By God's grace, with the help of God, by God's blessing, we call it procreation because God, working with what he has appointed for husband and wife, has given a child, and, and we want to claim the child as mine. We speak as a child as ours, but the firstborn is a joy and a hope we should resign to him that which is most dear to us. Matthew Henry goes on, Therefore, he says to Israel, They shall be mine. By this it will appear that we love God best as we ought if we are willing to part with that to him which we love best in this world. Think of Hannah, the mother of Samuel who is barren. She says, Lord God, if you will give me a male child, I will give him to you. She didn't just do what's required in the law through Moses with the redeeming of the firstborn, even as we would see in the New Testament when Jesus' parents bring him to the temple, two turtle doves. There's a price of redemption because they were a poor family. Hannah gave Samuel wholly to the Lord to serve the Lord God in the temple, and he became a great prophet to God. How much did she value that child? She'd been barren for years. She'd been ridiculed by her husband's other wife. What a principle then 
God, who is the first and best, should have the first and best. Well, secondly, lest we forget, God tells Israel, the day is mine. You look at verse 3 and 4. And, and Moses said to the people, remember, this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by the strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Remember this day. Children, do you remember last week I was talking to you how there, we have this expectation and anticipation of days. You know, you got a birthday coming up. You all got birthdays coming up. Every one of you got birthdays coming up. Some of you have just had them, but you may already be thinking about that next birthday. You may be already counting it down. We look forward to those days. Or perhaps you're looking forward to Christmas or the start of a, a special trip, a vacation or something. We get excited about special days, and, and we look forward to them, and we mark them, and we remember them. Well, the Lord God gave Israel a special day, and it was the day that they came out of Egypt. He told them that this day would always be a special day for them. The very first day of the year, their year would begin. The first day of the month of Abib, the very first month of their year on the very first day. How do we think of that? Well, it was New Year's, and New Year's Day for them was the day to remember they were redeemed. By the Lord's strong hand, they were brought out, they were delivered, that they would ever, never forget it. Every New Year's Day was a day to remember that God delivered them. God brought them out. He brought about the exodus, that it was his doing. And they would remember it year after year. They would mark that day. And it was the day that the Egyptians, think about this, it was the day that the Egyptians no longer beat them with rods and whips because of that deliverance day, it was no longer a day where their overlords would order them to do this, make brick, haul straw, dig, whatever it was that they'd been forced to do. No longer was the case. Well, what's the parallel for us? Well, in Christ Jesus, no longer do we have to obey sin. And when, when we give way to temptation and sin, that's, that's a weakness because of our flesh. But... In Christ Jesus, we have been set free from the power of sin. Sin is no longer our master, no longer our overlord, no longer our taskmaster telling us what to do. Well, for the Israelites, they were to celebrate that every year at the beginning of the year. Oh, my friends, today, it's Sunday. This is what we call the Lord's Day. It is the day that we remember. And what is it we celebrate? Well, what's so special about this day? It's not that just you know moms and dads have the day off from work. This is the beginning of the week. Why is this the beginning of the week? It's because on this morning, 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ arose from the dead. He arose from the grave. He had been crucified on Friday, dead and buried before the sun set that night. He had laid in the grave under the power of death for a time. And the question was, is he an imposter? Or is he all that he said he was? 
Well, it's this day that, that it's underscored, that it's demonstrated, that it's proved that he is indeed the Son of God who said, as he said he was, that he was victorious, that he triumphed over sin, death, and the grave, and all the promises that he made to his people of new life, uh, of him going away to a place to prepare a place for us, and promises that he would come again from that place to take us to be with him, that where he is there we may be also forever with him and with the Lord. All of those things, all of those promises, this day marks that. This is resurrection day. This is the day of Christ's triumph over sin, death, and the grave. It is when his foot crushed Satan at the cross. It happened. He's, Satan's defeated. But this day proves that that happened. It underscores it because of the resurrection. What was it? Shouts of the people when Jesus hung on the cross, bearing the sins of his people. When he was under the wrath of the God and, and the, the, the heavens were dark in the middle of the day. Those were those that were mocking him. He says he's the son of God. Let him call on God. You know, he'd done miracles. Come down from there. They were looking for that to be a proof of who he was. But the proof they were looking for came on the first day of the week. He arose. Christ is arisen from the dead. He arose indeed. He is risen Hallelujah, Christ arose. And so we mark this day as a day of proof. It's a day of our liberation. This, this is a day we celebrate ours being set free, not from uh, another man who would uh, beat our backs, even as Christians sometimes. Even right now we have brothers and sisters who are oppressed because of their faith in Christ, their hope in the living God. But there's no oppression from man that can interfere with our relationship with Christ and indeed what Christ has accomplished. We celebrate a day. God gave Israel a day. He says, remember this day that you went out of Egypt because of my strong hand. My friends, each week as we gather for worship, God is saying, remember this day that Christ was victorious because he was victorious, he has risen, ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is ruling and reigning. Indeed, every square inch of the vastness of the universe, Christ says, this is mine to rule and to reign. As the Son of God, he always ruled and reigned over that with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one with as the, one of the persons of the Trinity, but now as the God-man in our humanity, victorious in our humanity, to save us in our humanity from our sins, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and the Father has given it to him to reign over all things. That means everything. Your life, the nations, but he has triumphed over your sin. Jesus has set us free, and he's given us this day so that every week we will remember. You wake up Sunday morning, is there something of a joy in your heart? It's like, ah, oh, this is the Lord's day. Perhaps even Saturday night it should be that we're thinking about, tomorrow's the Lord's day. I want to be ready for that. We can get things in order. I want to think about what I'm going to wear. 
plan out the breakfast, everything as much as we marry. Because we're going together with God's people. We are coming together as God's people. The Lord's house, we're not coming to the Lord's house. It's just a building. We're the Lord's house. We're coming together as a people redeemed of the Lord to, to, to gather together, to sing together, to worship together, to fellowship one with another, to hear the word preached, to see the, Lord, the word portrayed in the supper on the first day of the week. Lest we forget. We forget so readily. I know there's some Sundays, perhaps I could say, you know, there's some Sundays I, I don't come with the, the greatest expectations or, or joyfulness that we should, that I should. You know, some days we come and you know, we'll be discouraged or downcast. We may even find ourselves extremely disappointed with how obedient we've been in the past week. But then we come together on this day. And we are reminded, Christ is risen. My sins are washed away. I have a triumphant king. I belong to him. I have every reason to celebrate. You know what? What we celebrate on the first day is far greater than what they celebrated on the first day. Theirs was a looking forward. There, there, for them, there was a, a longing. It, it was a foreshadowing. It was like, pointing to a greater promise necessary for them. But we have that promise realized. We have this already. But what else about this day? This day, we come to the Lord's table, and what does Jesus said? Do this, take this meal, until I come. Do this and remember me until I come. So even on this day, for them, as they wandered in the wilderness and they remember the first day of the week and the first, the first day of the year and so forth, for those 40 years before they came into the land, they were looking forward to something. We, too, are looking for something. It's on this day that we're looking forward to. And Christ shall come again because that was his promise. He says, if I go to prepare a place for you, you can every, have every confidence that I am coming again to gather you to be with me, that where I am, there you may be also. What a promise. Are you discouraged? Are you downcast? You feel like Paul in Romans 7? Oh, the good that I wished I had done this week. I've left undone. and Oh, the, the, the very things that I hated. Sin, and, and yet I, I found myself doing Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, this day we remember Christ has delivered us. And there is a day when he will ultimately deliver us from the very presence of sin and the ability to ever sin again. The Lord has given us a day, lest we forget. Well, we see also that the Lord with this day... Uh, gave them a week. It wasn't just the first day of the year. Um, it was for the whole first week. The Lord brought you out of this uh, the, out, uh, this place. That no love and unleavened bread shall be eaten. Verse 4, And on this day you are going out in the month of Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, 
the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give to you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month, the month of Abib. You should keep this service. What is this service? It's a, it's a service of obedience. Even as worship always, always it's an obedience to God. And what does he say? Verse 6, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And then on the seventh day, you shall have a feast to the Lord. So their New Year's started off with a, a whole week of celebration. The unleavened bread. They were to remember how God brought them out. Remember what, uh, back in the earlier chapter, God tells Moses to tell the Israelites, put all leaven out of your house. Now, remember, children, we explained that, you know, your mom is going to make bread that they want to rise and be fluffy and yummy. Oh, how good is a fresh break loaf for bread. You put yeast in it. It's just so much different than a tortilla or a pizza bread. Those flat breads. They have their place. But God is saying you put it out. But they didn't have little packets of yeast. They would make up the dough with the flour and the water and they'd kind of leave it out. And there's yeast in the air and it would settle on it. And then it would start to work and you'd keep it kneaded. And so you would always keep a lump of dough that had yeast in it. It was already working so that when you made a fresh loaf of bread, you would take them, mix that in, and then you'd keep some back. Well, Moses, God commanded through Moses, you're to put all of that out of your house. And for this week, at the beginning of the year, they would do the same thing. God's command was you are to put all yeast out of your house. It's not to be found in any of your quarters is the word here used. That is to say, in your house, don't hide some in the barn. Be rid of it. Why? Why was this so important for that week? Because it was to remind them, at the time of their exodus, there was no time for bread to rise. There was no time to wait on yeast to work. They were to eat unleavened bread because it was part of their going out in haste, even as they were to gird up their loins and have their staff and have their sandals on. It was all about the immediacy of what God was about to do. It was something that and when the command was given, they did not understand it. When dressed for travel, Moses were slaves. God's about to do something. Obey and be ready to go. No yeast. And we were told that when they left, they had their dough, unleavened, in their kneading troughs, wrapped in their clothes on their shoulders, and they left the land as the Lord had said. And for seven days, he reminded them as that time that as they left, there was no time to wait on bread to rise. They were on a mission. They were on their way to a destination. God was bringing them out, and God wanted them to remember that every single year. Begin the year, and remember, I set you free, and I brought you out. And it was in haste. I brought it to pass swiftly, and you are to remember that by keeping this week. You eat unleavened bread. It's the beginning of the year, though. These things started taking place. The children would ask questions. Look at verse 8. And you shall tell your son in that day, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Parents, your children ask questions, don't they? Moms, uh, you spend a lot of time with your kids, maybe more than the dads, but you dads know too. Questions, questions, questions. Children are full of questions, right? 
Maybe your grandchildren now just questions, questions, questions. God's made them that way. They're they're made in God's image, and they they want knowledge. They want to know, know how things work. They want to learn what they can. And there's just this nonstop barrage of questions. And, and you might be doing something, and child, well, why'd you do that? Why are we doing this? Why did you put that over there? Questions, questions, questions. And so as the year began and leaven's purged from the house and all week they're not eating, eating leaven, you can be sure that the children say, Mom, why, why no yeast? Where, where's, the, where's the fluffy, yummy bread? Why are we eating this flat bread? And God says, you will tell them. It's because of what the Lord has done. You shall tell your son in that day. This is done because of what the Lord did for me when we came out of Egypt. You see, this week was a reminder for parents, but it was also a time to instruct the children. They didn't know. And as they grew up, the Lord wanted them to know. He wanted them to understand what he had done, that this would be a great blessing to them. Is that any different than today? Parents, you bring your children to worship, I hope. Did you bring it because you want them to have questions answered? I hope your response isn't was like, I, I can't get a babysitter because anybody I trust, you know, they're in worship too. I hope that it's just like, no, I want my children here. I want them to hear the truth. I want them to learn. I want to have their questions answered. And, and, and even as you go home, I'm hoping you're talking about something might be said in the sermon. You know, our children aren't in sermon discussion. They're in CE, and they're being taught there. And I imagine you CE teachers just say, yeah, they have lots of questions. But on the way home, you know, they're asking questions. That's a wonderful thing. Parents, I know it It can become tedious after a while, right? There can be some of those days just like you know, 37,000 questions it seemed like today, and you feel drained of dispensing information. But what a blessing that is. God would have you to instruct your children. And that's not just for the first day of the week. It's that all week long that you would impart to them these Truths. These are gifts from God. You're passing on our most holy religion. There will be other times where God will say, and when your children ask, you will tell them. These are gifts from God, lest they forget. Now, there's something here that when we read it, you might have been scratching your head. Verse 9, and it shall be, so doing these things, having these things that you do in this first week, the first day, you know, no leaven and so forth. And it shall be, these things, it shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall keep, therefore, this ordinance in its season from year to year. What are we, what are we supposed to do with that? Notice it doesn't say make a little packet, uh, like a little uh, little pouch, a little envelope with Bible memory verses and strap them on your forehead and run around wearing it. And then make another one and put it on your wrist. You know, the Israelites actually eventually started doing that. They, they took this image because it, it says they should be as assigned to you. And they said, well, we'll, we'll go with that. And they focused on the external part of it and missed 
the spiritual part, because the spiritual part is you're doing these things so that they will be as a guide to your eyes uh, and, and a guide to your hands. That is to say, these things are so you will learn how to think about who God is and how you relate to God and, and the salvation that God has brought, and it will govern what you do with your hands. Well, we, we would call it a worldview. These things are given to be as to teach them a worldview. Who are we? We're God's people who've been delivered out of slavery. And we live, we're to live before him as his people. But the Jews, as I said, they made little phylacteries. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for that. We saw that in John, didn't we? So the Lord gave them these things to serve as instructors to their minds than to govern their actions with their hands. Well, fourthly, we want to consider that the Lord says, that which opens the womb is mine. Now, they begin in, in the, the opening summary, verse 2. It wasn't just the firstborn of the children, of the male children particularly, but also of man and beast is mine. Because he comes on in verse 11, he says, And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of Canaan, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an anim- from animal, which is, you have, the males shall be mine. But every firstborn donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So the Lord's given them a principle. Again, to take them back. This again is to remind them of the day of the destroyer, the night of the destroyer, and that they were spared. And notice he says, when you come into the land, because they're going to be journeying through the wilderness. It wasn't supposed to be that long of a trip. But because of the rebellion, it ended up being 40 years until that generation of rebellious ones perished and were buried in the land, in the sand. They never made it into the promised land, but God's given them a principle, a yet another gift, the law of the firstborn. And God now expands it to include the livestock. Every time a cow or an ewe, an ewe is a female sheep, or a doe, that is a female goat, or a female donkey gives birth, the first male of that, any animal belongs to the Lord. And when they have the the tabernacle or the temple, uh, they were to make sacrifice. That firstborn male was to be brought to the Lord. And it's interesting when you see uh, in the Leviticus the the commandments for a sin offering or peace offering, that it was to be without spot or blemish. None of that here. It's just God said, the firstborn's mine. And you bring it and you sacrifice it. It's mine. But when it comes to a donkey, well, donkeys, they're not told yet. They're going to learn this later on. They were unclean. It was not an animal that was to be eaten. Uh, there was, it was more like their little VW bus. I mean, it was how they got around. They used donkeys in useful ways. But in that case, they were to redeem it with a lamb, and then they could keep that firstborn. Or they were to break the neck, that is, to kill it, devoted to the Lord. It was his. It belonged to him. Because this was a reminder that not only did he spare the firstborn of their sons, but he spared the firstborn of their livestock. It was another lesson to remind them. And it was in perpetuity, year after year, 
Every firstborn that opened, firstborn male that opened the womb belonged to the Lord. These things may seem distant from us. Um, I, I think I'm pretty sure some of y'all own chickens and maybe some ducks. I don't know any of the raising cows or sheep or, or goats or donkeys. Um, and, and even if we did, you know, we don't sacrifice those things to the Lord because they pointed to the one sacrifice that was satisfactory, which is the Son of God who came into the world. But is there a principle here for us? I'm pretty sure most of you are thinking, yeah, there is, because the Lord has commanded that I'm to take the first tenth of what he gave me, the first of the increase that the Lord has blessed me with, and I give it to the Lord. It's, it, that grows out of this very principle. This principle reminding them of their deliverance and how their livestock was spared, which was a picture of wealth being preserved. But the Lord requires of us that we bring the tithe into the storehouse. And even as they did, we bring not only tithes but offerings. We bring them as unto the Lord that we would be reminded that all that we have is from the hand of the Lord. Children, again, you ask questions, right? God gave you minds to think. Interesting to think about these things. Can you imagine being a, a little Hebrew child and you're out in the stable and a little mother sheep gives birth to a little male lamb and the father says, um, this belongs to the Lord. But why, Father? Because God delivered us out of Egypt. And when he did, he struck all the firstborn of the animals of the Egyptians and he spared ours. And so he requires us to do this so that we never forget what he has done in the past. My parents, what I would say to you by application, it is your responsibility and it is your great privilege to teach your children. It was given to you by God to teach them. Yes, be patient, keep instructing. Children are sponges. Read to them from the Bible. Answer their questions as best you can. And if, if you can't answer their question, pick up the phone and call one of our elders. See if they can't help you with the answer. A child's question is worth answering. Teach your children this children's catechism and the Westminster Shorter Catechism. They're important ways to instruct them. And, and then you know what? They will start knowing the answers to the important questions. But what we see here in this text this morning is underscored by what God will say through Moses to the children of these people. In Deuteronomy 6, God says, Hear, O Israel. Every Israelite knew this. It's called the great Shema. That's hear, O Israel. Hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength. Does that sound familiar? We hear that every week, don't we? This is the first great commandment. But it goes on. And these words which I command you this day, they shall be in your heart. This is back to let them be as signs to you. They shall be in your heart. But it doesn't stop there. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in the house 
and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, all through the day, these are constantly the principles and precepts, the truths of God's word are to be the conversation of our households. And yet, sadly, we're surrounded with social media and we're bombarded with host of movies. And be honest, so many times in a house, your families are talking about Star Wars or, or the latest pop music star or some other trifle. God wants our homes to be about teaching his word, teaching his principles, passing these things on to our children. So we conclude then, surely we, talking about us now, we are a people who have received an even greater deliverance from the Lord our God than being delivered out of a house of bondage. For God has delivered us from sin, from Satan, from death, from hell, from his wrath and destruction that he will visit upon all, all, who are not united to Christ by faith, all those who have rejected Christ. Remember the way we read, read in John 3.18? Because they're, they're cursed already because they have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has brought us out of something in, greater and into something greater than Israel. He has added us to an eternal family. He has given us an everlasting relationship with himself and has done all of this by giving us his only begotten son. All these things point to him who came into the world to save sinners. The eternal God who became man to save us from sin. He is and he ever will be our blessed redeemer. And God is appointed that we should never forget this. God has given us a week. A seven-day week to live by routine that begins with the first day of the week that we would remember that he says, I am the Lord your God. I'm the Lord of all your life. Lest we forget, he's made us for his own glory. Lest we forget, he says, I have redeemed you with the blood of my son. Lest you forget, he says, I have adopted you into my everlasting family. Lest you forget, you owe me your all. Remember your baptism and improve on it. I've also given you a meal, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, that you are to do this in remembrance of my only begotten Son, the firstborn of all creation, who laid down his life. He underwent the destruction that you deserved so that you might live. And he satisfied the Father. As John says, he propitiated for our sins. He cleared the debt paid the penalty. Christ has done that. The Lord said to us, do not disregard my gifts as the children of Israel of old did. My beloved children, the Father says, embrace my gifts and use them to help you to remember. Amen? Let us pray. Oh, Father God, our God, we do thank you that you have structured our week, you have structured our lives, that you have given us uh, lessons and reminders all around. Father, we thank you that we have been entrusted the tremendous responsibility of teaching our, our children and, and, and grandchildren coming alongside their parents to be a help to them. 
Lord, we do ask that you would continue to bless this particular church, that as our little ones here, that they would have a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. And Lord, may we model it for them. May we have an appetite for gaining understanding, that we might be better equipped, more thoroughly informed so that we can answer their questions and be more thoroughly informed by your Spirit that we would live more consistently with that which you commanded. And Father, we thank you that you've given us gifts to remind us, lest we forget who Christ is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.